Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to uh, We Built an Empire. I'm your host, Kyle Wolf. I'm here with Brad and Josh, and they are advocates, volunteers for a really cool company that I think is doing amazing things called Hunting Buddies. And I'm so glad you guys came out tonight. Um, you know, I've seen a couple of different guys. And when I saw that you were involved in it, I was like, man, I got to have, you know, Brad come on and talk about this because it's such a really, really amazing program. Um, and I hope that whatever we talk about tonight can kind of spawn other people getting interested in it and possibly become volunteers. And so, um, yeah, I mean, without further ado, let's, let's get into it. You know, how did you guys get into this organization called Hunting Buddies? Um, well, personally, I brought Josh with me today because he was a huge, um, factor for, for me and my family, as far as getting, getting involved in outdoor buddies. Um, he, we met back in high school. I have a younger brother, um, who was paralyzed from the waist down and, uh, really got interested in hunting personally, um, back in high school, beginning of college. And, um, and uh, we would take my brother, Peter, who's paralyzed from the waist down. We adopted him um, when he was, um, you know, 10 months old from Moscow. And as he grew up, he can, he kind of became interested in getting outdoors and hunting. And um, we kept going out hunting, pre- predominantly yeah. antelope hunting yeah. out, east. Um, out east, kind of east of I-25 area. Um, and we'd go out on public land and we'd just cruise around in the vehicle with my brother in the back seat. And have a really good time. It was a it was a blast. We have a lot of good memories from that. But one of the the struggles, obviously, is um, having access to uh, huntable places with a, someone who's handicapped, right? Sure. Somebody that you can actually get somebody get into and have an opportunity yeah. to have some real chances at harvesting an animal. And um, and then just the obvious physical limitations, getting in and out of cars. Mm-hmm things like that, you're pretty much limited to a vehicle with some people. And uh, although we had a blast, we, we, we had a really hard time getting animals, yeah. you know. <laughs> it's yeah, a and and uh, it, was a, it was a huge challenge, had a great time. But, but ultimately, Josh is like, hey, there's this company called Outdoor Buddies. Um, you should check into it. And years went by. I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe I'll look into that. And at the time, we were living up in uh, Colorado Springs area. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it kind of just got to a point where I'm like, you know what, I'm going to look into this company Josh mentioned. And, um, and I gave him a call and, uh, spoke with the president at the time, Dwayne. And he, uh, he's like, yeah, you should come out and bring your brother and we'll go antelope hunting north of Fort Collins area. And, uh, I'm like, all right. And they were super accommodating and, uh, showed genuine interest about Peter, my brother and, and myself. And so, um, that's where it kind of started is we took, we took Peter out on antelope hunt north of Fort Collins and, um, really got just immersed in outdoor buddies and what they do and the, the types of events they provide for people. And, um, we were beneficiaries of that right at first, you know, so, um, we were able to, you know, kind of reap some of the benefits from, from outdoor buddies and, and what they provide and uh, it really wasn't until we moved down to the Durango area that um, we were like, you know what? 
there's nothing like this in Durango on La Plata County. Um, a lot of the the events after Buddy's hosts are on the front range. They're Denver, Carter Springs, and I understand that that's where most of the people are. But yeah. there's there's a need here too, and so um, that's where I came in. I called Outdoor Buddies and said, "Hey, I want to start a chapter down here in, in the Durango area," and um, and I met with you know individuals from the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Office and and through networking and trying to. Uh, build up the program here in Southwest Colorado. Um, it's been it's been an awesome time, mm-hmm. and we've been able to give back, you know, to people rather than receive like we did initially. And um, and as a result, I think we've been able to build some relationship yeah. um, with a lot of different people and and affect people's lives ultimately and provide opportunities that they thought they would otherwise not be able to do. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and there's a whole bunch of different stories behind every person, right? And uh, and ultimately, that's the funnest, funnest part of it. Yeah, you get to go out, you get to, you get to go hunting with people. But there's, I mean, you hear a lot of different stories from people, and relation, relationships are built. And uh, I still keep in contact with people that we, we we hunted with four, five, six years ago. And uh, so ultimately, that's how I got involved in Outdoor Buddies. Josh has his own story too. And so, um, go ahead. Well, so similar in the sense that I had a relationship with someone who was uh, paralyzed. It was my dad. And so I was fairly young. I was actually very young. And I remember my dad going out with the outdoor buddies and he'd come back with these crazy stories. And my dad was a great storyteller. So he made it probably a little bit better than it was. But at the time, I mean, I remember he tell, he was telling me a story about going uh, turkey hunting. And it was down in the Canyon City area. And, and he's like, these guys were so amazing. They took me out. They, they t- dropped me off in the woods and said, sit here. The turkeys are going to walk by at this time. Make sure you don't shoot the wrong, the wrong, you know, male or female, make sure you shoot a male. And he said, okay. And he like kind of laughed it off. Like there's no way these guys know what they're talking about. And, you know, lo and behold, they walk by right when they're supposed to walk by. My dad ends up getting the, his first time ever. Um, and so that was where he kind of started. And so, you know, as I kind of got older, I wasn't really a part of the outdoor buddies because they kind of focused just primarily on the individual that, you know, needed was hunting with them, but he was able to antelope hunt with them several times. They ended up setting him up with, um, some actually an outfitting service that they kind of would give away hunts every once in a while. And he was able to do that and just had a time of his life. Like he felt like he was, he was just treated so well by these guys who really cared about him. Um, and then, you know, as we got older, I started knocking on doors for my dad because it was really hard to hunt public land. He couldn't get out of the vehicle and he did have a special permit that allowed him to hunt from a vehicle, but you still have to follow the rest of the regulations. Like you can't shoot from a road or anything like that, obviously. And so we would go knock on doors and we would spend days upon days in the off season trying to find places to go. And as we kind of got through that, and I remember my dad's stories, it just grew into this, this appreciation for the work that these outdoor buddies were doing for my dad, like getting him access to places, doing the research, learning about the animals and, and really just treating these guys with respect. Um, and so, you know, my dad was fairly able-bodied for someone who was a, you know, couldn't use his legs essentially. Um, but he had a lot of buddies who also did outdoor buddies who, who, you know, honestly couldn't move on their own very much. And he would just tell me stories about how they would be taken out and they'd get their first antelope and they'd just be so excited or their first deer, or even just being able to be out there. Um, and it was just so impressive to me. And so, you know, over the years, eventually I met, you know, met Brad, we actually went to the same high school, played soccer together. And then I remember we had, um, we worked at a hospital actually in a valley and our boss put us inside the building, just kind of helping people out. And really it was like late at night and no one was there. So we'd sit and talk about hunting for hours on end. 
And that's kind of where it was like we had this commonality that we both had people in our lives that couldn't access something that we loved so much. Um, and then, you know, it just kind of grew from there. Um, and it's just something that's really important to me because it's something that, like I said, it's just so important to us. We care so much about doing this and I just see people who can't do it or, you know, there, there's just that barrier and sometimes it's private land, but sometimes it's someone taking the time to get them to that location. Um, in our case, we've definitely experienced all of those kind of different barriers for people to cross and some are really, really challenging. And I'd say that in general, people don't know how to get them past that. And so that's, that's what really led to it. And, you know, Brad kicked it off. I mean, he's the one who really took the initiative to get all this started. I actually only joined up two years ago and we had talked about it for years, but I was coaching and it just, you know, time-wise it didn't work out. And, and I, you know, finally wasn't coaching anymore and it worked out and, and it's just been amazing. And I'm just so thankful that we get to be a part of these guys' lives this way. And just to see the happiness in them, just the time, the little time that I feel like we give, mm -hmm. you get so much joy from seeing these guys do something that in many ways they thought was impossible. Yeah. It's absolutely. pretty cool. I can only imagine. Um, so do you, you guys have to, or are you, are you kind of, uh, I guess forced to because of the, the, the technicality of the lay of the land to, to do a lot of private land hunts? Yeah, um, primarily. Yeah. Yeah. So the, I mean, like any, any hunting, uh, you know, depending on what your tag allows you to do, right? I mean, we could potentially take people out on public land mm -hmm. and we, we have done that if their tag allows them, you know, we may hunt a piece of private land in the morning and, and, uh, don't have any success. We'll, we'll go drive public land roads, you know, gotcha. and, uh, you know, try to create opportunities that way. But primarily, um, we're hunting pub uh, or excuse me, private land and, um, yeah. And it just provides, yeah, there's a lot of advantages to hunt in private land. Mm -hmm. Obviously you're not dealing with hundreds of other people potentially out on the roads that you're, you're competing with. And, um, and, and then the, to me, I think like the advantage of hunting private land is we can get a variety of different people with quite a bit of different, di um, disabilities, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, every year is different, right. But we can get them set up and, the proper location, the proper way, depending on what their limitations are, their disabilities are, and uh, not have to worry about with you know everybody else around us, you know, pressuring us and and other um, hunters, yeah. and um, so it provides a bit more of a relaxed atmosphere mm -hmm. and and um, more opportunities for you know success for for those hunters. Are they still subject to the same uh, tag drawing system that all other hunters in the state are, you know? Well, yes and no. Okay. Yeah. Is there, is there like a specialty draw for disabled uh, people? Or? Well, Outdoor Buddy, and Brad could probably speak more to this. You know, Outdoor Buddy certainly has the ability to access some of the tags that maybe the general public wouldn't be able to. Gotcha. But in, in general, we actually just have a lot of the guys put in for private land only tags. Sometimes those are more available because there's only a certain amount of public you know, private land that people can access. Sure. And so, you know, versus public land, I feel like that's always an opportunity. And sometimes it's just over the counter. It kind of depends the unit you're in. And we've been pretty lucky mm -hmm. that down here tags are, you know, somewhat available. It's certainly a challenge sometimes, mm -hmm. but there's kind of a, another way the outdoor buddies um, can kind of help guys out too. Yeah. So, so how people get involved is, you know, they go to the outdoor buddies website. <clears throat> there's a, there's a lot of kind of, um, there's a lot of hoops to jump through initially for those people and in order to get on what's called the mobility impaired list through Colorado Parks and Wildlife. They got to go to their physician, uh, get some paperwork signed out that says, uh, yeah, I am disabled. Um, here's a 
a signed piece of paper from my doctor. Um, these are my limitations. And it gets reviewed by Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And if if they deem it legitimate, um, these people go what's go on what's called the mobility impaired list. And so um, what they'll do is they'll apply, hey, I want to go on a deer hunt in Durango um, through Outdoor Buddies. Um, and there's a waiting list for Outdoor Buddies. So, I mean, those people may have had a deer hunt the year before, but there's other people you know, that through Outdoor Buddies. limitations because of just volunteers? Or? Volu- there's volunteers, uh, definitely private land access, mm-hmm. you know, properties to hunt uh, all around the state, not mm-hmm. just here. And, um, and then, then the volume of people, you know, we have people from uh, Colorado primarily, but also um, the entire nation that hear about Outdoor Buddies, you know? Sure. And so once they get selected through Outdoor Buddies, then we, we send them through the, the normal public draw process that we would all have to go through initially um, to draw a tag. And then um, after that, if they're not, they're not successful, depending on the species, the gender of the species, they can typically get, and we get mm-hmm. plenty of people um, tags this way, go through the mobility impaired list where they have, they they get a, a letter in the mail every single hunting season prior to the, the draw, and they, they're pretty much informed these are the tags available for this unit in this season. Mm-hmm. And so it gives them a, a kind of a second chance, you know, um, a little bit. Sure. Um, and um, we have a lot of success getting people those tags through the mm-hmm. mobility impaired list. So it's an it's an added opportunity uh, for people that hey if they're not successful they're kind of bummed out they call me hey, I didn't draw my tag mm-hmm. I'm like it's all right it's all right um, here's another chance here's another for chance you. for yeah. you and they can still come down and and get a hunt in so that's part of the reason why we choose certain seasons to mm-hmm. hunt mm-hmm. and certain species primarily is because uh, there's just more opportunity available to them. Absolutely. To them. What do, what do you see as far as the at least in this area because we obviously we don't have a lot of antelope. Um, yeah. But, I mean, are you guys typically going for mule deer or something of that nature? I mean, because unless it's like late, late season, you know, maybe right. like a cow tag, an elk cow, um, I, I could imagine it's, it's probably pretty difficult in this area to, yeah. to go after, you know, a monster 400 bull. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and part of what we do is it's so pretty much exclusively mule deer right now. Yeah. And truthfully, most of the tags that we work with are doe which are less desirable for a lot of people. Sure. You know, a lot of people want to hunt a buck or a bull mm-hmm. or whatever. And so that's another leg up for us is we can get you a tag because not as many guys are looking for this mm-hmm. or people are looking for this. So, um, yeah, it's, right now it's just milder. We'd love to expand, I think, to elk eventually, but elk are just yeah. so unpredictable. They move so much mm-hmm. and private land elk tags, you know, are available. But again, not as much as a deer tag is. So, you know, we're trying to get an opportunity for people to get out. And so mule deer, specifically doe, although we've, we have had some buck hunters, but mm-hmm. specifically doe tags are just the easiest to get. And, you know, volume of animals, truthfully, mm-hmm. you know, depending on the person's disability, we might need four or five, six chances. Sometimes we've been really lucky. Mm-hmm. We've had some really great people, but you just don't know. And so we really need volume and really good opportunities for people because, you know, this isn't like what you see on TV. We're not We're not hunting out to 600 yards. We're not you know, we're literally not scoping out trophies. We're trying to find the most ethical <laughs> shot that we can sure. take in the safest. And that's, yeah. we, I was going to mention this before, but one of our biggest things, and this is what we, we tell every single person who comes down to spend time with us is our job is to make sure you're safe. You know, we, getting an animal would be wonderful. We're excited to spend time with you, but you're going to leave here safely. And so are we. And so that's a huge part of that private land mm-hmm. is you know, on public land. There's so many more variables, but sure. on private land to an extent, mm-hmm. 
we, we feel like we can control that. And so mule deer and private land kind of gives us the best chance to, to really have some success and make sure everyone goes home safe. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty amazing. Uh, so what, uh, what have you guys seen as far as um, like immobilities of, you know, these disabled members? Uh, right. I mean, or is it, you typically see like, uh, you know, paralyzed from the waist around, like quadriplegic. Is it, I mean, if you told me a story the other day, I don't think the gentleman, uh, was he blind? Mm-hmm. You're right. Like, can you, are you allowed to talk about, can you tell me about that yeah, story? Like absolutely. that just like blew me away. I was like, what, how, yeah. what are you talking about, Brad? And you're like, well, so I just like, if you can talk about it, I would love for the people to hear. Yeah. This is where it gets cool. I yeah. mean, honestly, <laughs> it really is because yeah. there's a lot of cool things out there that, um, you know, people, people just don't know even exist that's mm-hmm. available for, for different, different types of disabilities. Right. I think we all think of, you know, people with disabilities, we're thinking somebody in a wheelchair, right. Mm-hmm. We're thinking somebody who's maybe a quadriplegic yeah. or maybe missing a limb or something like that. And those are certainly people we, yeah. we've worked with in the past, just like my brother, tons of cool stories with my brother and his, um and his disabilities mm-hmm. and kind of just uh, the fun things that come come about from that and the challenges that that is. But the blind, we've had, how many people? We've probably had four blind hunters in the last two years. Yeah. And and each, each person, like we said, is different. And so yeah. once you start talking to them on the phone, uh, usually like two, three months before they come down, you kind of start to get put together in your head a picture of what's going to happen when they come down. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes like this last year, we had an individual, actually we had two blind people. We did this we year. We had yeah. two blind people this year, hundred percent blind. So, you know, for them, they're not going to drive themselves down to Durango mm-hmm. from Denver or Colorado Springs. Their challenge is, okay, I got to find a ride down to mm-hmm. Durango. And, you know, we know this, but you know, that's a six hour drive. And that's that's yeah. the first thing we hear is that holy cow, man, that drive was long. It's far. It's beautiful, but yeah. it's long. And um, and they get down here, and then you start to get to know know the person a little bit, and like, okay, how is this really going to play out when we're out hunting? Yeah. And so um, we have these. This year, we used a couple different methods mm-hmm. yeah. um, for for blind hunters specifically that we've we've done in the past, and and one of them is this scope that goes on the eyepiece of the rifle scope. So I don't know if people have seen these different contraptions that go on spotting scopes mm-hmm. or where you can put it on the, the eyepiece and then you just start snapping pictures or videos. Like a phone scope? Like a yeah. phone scope. Okay. Like a exactly. viewfinder kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is a little bit different. It slides over the eyepiece of the scope and then you adjust the depth of the phone. So we'll, we, we slid an iPhone in, inside that. Um, adapter piece mm-hmm. and and we this is usually like a night before thing where we're setting it up making sure that it's set up where it needs to be and then you just turn on the picture mode of your phone you know and what you see is what you would see if you were looking down the eyepiece yourself you can see the crosshairs and uh, depending on the zoom level and and all that you can zoom in with the rifle scope like you would normally do. So you're standing over like the shoulder of this these yeah. these people, and you're you're so you're mm-hmm. seeing what they would see if they're staring down exactly. the scope. Yeah. yeah, right, right. So legally, we can't go out there and be like, move, like look down the scope, move them, and pull the trigger for them, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but what we can we can do is we set them up on a tripod. Usually, we're hunting like Josh said. If they have a shoot from the vehicle license, that's you know. We can legally hunt um, 
animals from a vehicle if they have a shoot from vehicle license. And so we'll take the, the window down, mm-hmm. we'll put a pool noodle on top of the window, yeah. and they can set the rifle up on there. So Josh did that with one of our hunters this year where he was he was sitting a little bit behind our hunter in the backseat of my truck. And he had that scope adapter on there, had the, the power on, and we were just waiting for this doe, which seemed like forever. Like we were... Yeah, we I were on this doe for probably, it felt like. It felt like hours, hours but it probably was like 45 minutes, yeah. maybe. I don't even know. <laughs> to get in this position where we could take a shot. And and all we were doing is waiting for this animal to step into that adapter um, piece on that scope that we could see. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and it was cool because eventually that animal went into an, an area that we could shoot safely. Mm-hmm. And then Josh just said, hey, you know, he kind of just. I'm going to move your hands this way, this way, that way, because, you know, he can't see where the animal is. Stabilize it on the animal, and then, okay, you're good to shoot. So that, you know, he's able to take the safety off. You know, we're we're saying, hey, take the safety off, put the safety (laughs) on. And then he he actually fires the firearm and, and can harvest the animal. Yeah. And then we have we have people who are blind and deaf, you know, so they they can't see, they can't hear. And so we use, you know, a lot of nonverbal communications where I'll literally tap the shoulder and, you know, we get this all set up before we go out in the field. But once we're set up on the animal um, with that same phone scope, we've even looked down the shoulders where I'm looking down the scope myself because we've had equipment that's failed, you know, and uh, we kind of like, oh. Now, what plan B type of a situation. Yeah. And, uh, and, and because we, you know, you don't want to be super loud either while you're hunting. Obviously, it's like, <laughs> yeah. hey, there it is. Shoot. Left, left. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They get keen yeah. to that real quick. They, <laughs> they're like, what's going on? Not in hanging there? over by that car. Or but that, that but that's part of the reason private yeah. land, that's part of the reason why yeah. we use hunting blinds, things like that too, mm-hmm. is because movement and things like that is more concealable. But then when we're ready, you know, we can't just say, hey, shoot. We like, yeah tap the shoulder twice and once they feel that that tap the second time on their shoulder they pull the 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 hammer on their gun Mm -hmm. and um and i don't know that's pretty cool yeah we've we've had one hunter come down a couple times his name's colt and uh and he's yeah he's blind and he can't hear I mean, and it is like it's definitely a challenge like even in a regular room we you know because we usually have dinner with everyone beforehand and and we did it in a restaurant, actually, one of the years that we had him down here. And I don't think he heard a word we said just because no. of the background noise. And then yeah. last year, we actually did it at a house in, that they stayed at. And um, even then, it, it's it's quite a challenge. Like you really have to shout into his ear. Oh, geez. Um, so when we're in the field, it, yeah. it's it's almost impossible. So in the, he had, they were, Brad was really smart about this a couple of years ago. They really did work out that signal. Like, this is what this means. This is what this means. And he he trusts it, and he does great with it. Mm-hmm. Um but it, you know, and then even with his equipment, we've had some issues. So it's, it's been really interesting, mm-hmm. uh, but it's worked out. And, you know, we've, I think two years ago, we ended up getting one. We found a doe that was moving across. We got him out on a bipod and Brad was standing right behind him and I was spotting. And, and one thing that I wanted to add to what Brad said is like, especially with the, the, the folks who can't see, you know, animals aren't stationary. And so the, the huge challenge here is to make sure we have a huge gap for an animal that we feel is appropriate to take. And we spend a ton of time trying to pick the right doe, mm-hmm. you know, the right animal. Um, and for him, it's always been a doe, but for him, yeah. we just work so hard to make sure that there is zero chance that anything could go wrong. Cause this, you know, this is real life. It's live and there's, there's no take backs out there. And so 
you know, Brad does such a great job of lining them up and making sure. And, and when you say right and left, that means absolutely nothing to them. Yeah. You know, up and down, and, you know, cause that could mean two inches. It could mean two feet and through a scope that's always magnified, you know? And so we just, we communicate really well and I'll sit back on the spotting scope or vice versa. When yeah. we got the, the gentleman went in this, this year is we were just like, okay, it's going to take a step. This is the deer it is. And we're just really communicating as much as we can to make sure that they know that that's the best shot. When we tell them it's okay, they can trust us to do that. And it's a challenge, but that's also part of the fun is, you know, I just feel like we're, it's, it's a team effort between obviously us, but then also the hunter trusting us to put them in that situation where they're going to do the best thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, it's awesome. And it's so cool to see. And, and last year after they, he got him off the bipod, we ended up getting the doe as a great shot. Um, he was just, his face was incredible. Like, and I actually think that was still the second time he had been down, but yeah. he was so grateful. Like he just wanted to walk up and touch her coat. Like it was just such a cool yeah. thing. Like you just don't see that. Were, are a lot of these folks, were they avid hunters prior to like an accident that, that, you know, uh, caused them to be disabled or are they lifelong and they just have this desire to, you know, they, everybody's telling them. It's yeah. different. For yeah. sure. It's, it's definitely a mix. Different. Some um, guys, it's the first animal they've ever har- harvested. Yeah. We've had it like this year. We had a first time ever hunting and you know he's like he's 40 years old mm-hmm. but he's blind and uh and his his story is a little different where he i think he he was born with vision problems and it just slowly got worse mm-hmm. colt was born 100 percent blind and uh, that's just how he's always been yeah but um yeah so it's it's different um mm-hmm. you know i think what we take for granted like if you and i were to go out hunting especially if you you harvest just maybe a doe or, you know, like we always like, we get this buck and like, oh, look at this, these antlers and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's you know? what you see on the internet, right? He's just pictures of there, big animals. He can't see the animal he took. And yeah, he, yeah like Josh said, yeah. he sits there and he, it's the first time he's pet like the coat mm-hmm. of a deer. Yep. And it's, and like, it's a different experience. His, his sensations and his, you know, he, he overcomes his blind blindness mm-hmm. by, you know, his, the rest of his senses being heightened. Right. And so, yeah, uh, it was, it's like that, that's stuff like mm-hmm. kind of surreal. It's kind like of, you know, just, that's why you can't, exp- you know, like when you yeah. see something like that happen, it's kind of like, oh, this is why we do this. Right. Mm-hmm. Because, because, you know, I, it's great to harvest an animal to get meat and things like that for yourself. Yeah. And it's like, I certainly appreciate all, all the animals we get and my mm-hmm. family and I, you know, we, we eat a lot of wild game, yeah. but it's, it's just mm-hmm. different. And, um, and these people, you know, um, they get to take the meat back and, mm-hmm. and share it with their families. Do you guys help most? Well, especially like with the, with the, the folks that are blind, do you help break down the animal? For yeah. Them? They, I think yeah. it was with Colt. We were making jokes. Like how much do you want to do? You know, like how much do you want to be involved? He's like, well, I am blind, you know, and <laughs> he kind of made a joke out of it, but you know, certainly he helped us a little bit. He would hold legs and whatnot, but we'll do whatever they ask to a certain extent. You know, sure. we, we yeah. typically will quarter them out or we might, you know, gut them and, and take them to a butcher if that's the case, or maybe yeah. load them up so they can take them to a butcher. I think a few guys we've thrown them into coolers so mm-hmm. they can cool them down and get them to the front range. Um, I don't know we've ever actually deboned an animal all the way, but you know mm-hmm. it's it's really just making sure that that meat gets used. Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, respecting what we did there. So mm-hmm. it's been a mixture for sure. But yeah, I'd say for even for de- even for the folks that aren't blind, we typically break them down to a, a certain point for them. Yeah, usually, yeah. skin them, whatever. Yeah. It's, it's such an interesting concept of like what you guys are doing and like a lot of the ways that 
because I, I also hunt, you know, and I've, mm-hmm. uh, we've got a hunt that ends January 15th and I've got to get my son out there. It's just been right. crazy busy. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, I was thinking about this kind of prefacing this, this interview and, you know, there, there's, there's always going to be like controversy surrounding, you know, the concept of, you know, um, hunting is conservation. You know, mm-hmm. I, I truly believe that it is. And statistically speaking, it is, I mean, it, mm-hmm. it you know, it, it helps out, you know, it makes a, a more of a powerful, heard, so to speak. Um, and, you know, but there's always that controversy around hunters and non-hunters. I mean, some are, you know, far more uh, just over the top, I would say, for lack of better terms, with their disagreement with hunting, mm-hmm. um, no matter whatever you can kind of say. But like the the interesting thing about what you guys do is that, yes, it is it is hunting, but like the gigantic selfless act that you're doing to allow that person to experience that, whether they have ever, whether they had done it in the past or it's the first time they're harvesting an animal. Like that's where these like two weird worlds in my brain of going like, well, anybody that not anybody, but the majority of folks I think that would disagree with hunting would 100% help out a person. They Mm -hmm. would love to volunteer. And this is such a huge thing that you guys are doing for, an individual, a group, uh, an organization, but then like, it's also combated with the con the conversation of like, well, but is this an ethical way to kind of, you know, help people out through hunting? So I, I think it's a very, and I hate to say that it's like, it's a niche environment that you guys are kind of operating, you know, mm-hmm. uh, this within, but I do think that it's, it, it I, I think that it's almost in my head when I look at it, I think that people allow it to happen a little more Uh than they would a normal, you know, if we were sitting, sitting here talking about our, you know, our second season, you know, wins and and fails, right. Maybe (laughs) maybe more fails. People would would maybe tune out, right. Or they would highly disagree. Um, And they may still disagree with like what you guys are doing and what we're talking about, but I don't think that anybody can disagree. The fact that you're helping these people, accomplish something that they otherwise would never be able to accomplish. And when I first asked you to come on, I was like, it's just such an interesting concept in my head. And, you know, there's Mm -hmm. a thousand different spirals that could come out of that statement, but you know, it's, it's really neat. Um, So I'm just kind of glad to see that you guys are doing that, but going to a question is that, have you guys ever felt any sort of kickback from like, I would say maybe society being like, what you're doing is great. We appreciate it but it's still hunting. Like you guys ever get anything like that? Or is it just, has that ever come up? Not, not really. No, no to be honest with you. No, I mean, listen, we're, we're all, we're all good at something, you know, we we all have areas in life. We excel at stuff and Josh and I are pretty dang good at hunting and we've chosen to leverage that to love on people. And mm-hmm. so ultimately that's what we're doing is um is loving on people you know i mean mm-hmm. and we're using something that we love and hunting that we don't take for granted yeah. for certainly and we don't take advantage of personally i mean every single time we harvest an animal we we we're grateful for it yeah. you it's know, a big deal we pray over the animal like yeah. thank you for for providing for us and our family mm-hmm. and yeah man Society is going to try to get you in this debate of what's right or wrong, and you're never going to ever settle that argument. You know, yeah. you know, people, you know, who aren't hunters may call themselves environmentalists. You know, and people who are hunters call call themselves conservationalists. You know, and so ultimately, 
it's kind of, people talk to themselves in a way to whatever makes them feel better sure. about themselves. And so, um, and that's okay. You know, we're not here to change people's minds. We're not here yeah. to say, hey, hunting's good or right or wrong, right? But the right thing to do is what is helping people. You know, I yeah. think what we can all agree on, like you said, Kyle, is like we can we can probably all agree on like helping people who may not have the opportunities that we take for granted every single day to do go out to a private land or just walk, just walk, yeah. just right. Go on your two just, legs and just walk through a field. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've, I've bitched it myself about yeah. like my first time, <laughs> my first, you know, cause I was an avid hunter for a decade and I just stopped. I just got burnt out. I was like, I'm yeah. good. You know, I've harvested yeah. whatever and I'm okay. And then I got back into archery and was like, you know, the, I missed the first season while I was kind of learning how to be, you know, more of a perfectionist with archery so I could get an ethical kill and mm -hmm. reading this and shooting every single mm -hmm. day, like hundreds and hundreds of shots. But my first season, I was unsuccessful. I put 68 miles under yeah. my feet. And yeah. I was so yeah. mad at myself. I had so many opportunities and missed opportunities. And, you know, and I, I had that mindset of like, I, I did have a an either or, you know, either sex tag. Yeah. And I waited and I waited and I waited and pass up some opportunities to harvest the meat, right? Mm -hmm. I've never done that before, like with a rifle. I, I don't know. It just, but going back to the, the, in my head, I was so angry. And then I hear you guys talk about like, you know, some of these people are like, are completely immobilized. Mm -hmm. They're out there. Like one of the pictures I saw on the website was like, it kind of looked like a, almost like a, uh, like a track, not a tractor, I yeah. want to say, but like, like a modified four wheeler with right. like, like almost like snowmobile tracks. Yes. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I yeah. instantly was like, you know, my, like, excuse the phrase, but like my inner bitch was like, yeah. dude, you have nothing, <laughs> you have nothing to bitch about. Like, yeah, that sucked. You didn't get anything. But yeah. so, I mean, I think going back to what you were saying, like the, the ability to give to these individuals, like you guys are doing, I think completely offsets anybody who might be angry about the process. Mm -hmm, you know right, what I mean? And right. this is, and I do, I wholeheartedly agree with you guys harvesting your own meat whether you've ever had elk meat or deer meat, some people hate it. Some people love it. My, sure. my wife hates it, Yeah, but it doesn't stop the fact that we still hunt and we still eat and we still use it. Yeah. Um, you know, she just has basically told me like no more steaks. Wow. Like if we're doing <laughs> steak, it's going to be beef. Like, okay, yeah. all right. That's, all right. that's, you know, that's a fair compromise. Summer sausage, you yeah. know what, but right. we will, we harvest and you know what we don't eat. And, and a lot of the friends, I'm sure you guys are the same way. It's like if you got a bucky, a buddy that was, you know, unlucky that year, like, hey, here, here's a here's a quarter. Yeah, you know, sure. I mean, there's been years where it's successful, and you take, you know, two or three dough. Mm -hmm. You're like, yeah. I don't have enough room in my freezer. Right. Okay, hey, who wasn't who who wants some meat? You know, here's yeah. you know, three different roasts, or here's some cut, or here's burgers. And so it's like you're you're sharing that wealth of that animal that it gave mm -hmm. that it gave to you and your family, and you also know exactly where it came from, and you know exactly the work that went into it. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm hearing you guys talk about these stories uh, you know, of just this one example where this gentleman was blind, harvested an animal, probably had more of a visceral feeling than we'll ever right. know, oh, just yeah. touching the hide, sure. just, you know, just feeling what that was like, you know, I can't even imagine. Um, but now he's got that feeling plus the ability to take home that meat mm -hmm. and he knows, he knows the work and you guys know the work that you put in on the front sure. end to make sure that he could have an ethical kill on that animal. And so yeah. it's like, I look at that. I'm like, this is just, this is outstanding. It's a crazy program. So if anybody was ever to be mad about this conversation we have, like I, it would be so quick for me to do something that I won't do on camera, but <laughs> you know, it's just like, I, I think that what you guys are doing is, is for the absolute good 
And I hope that it never comes down to the fact that you guys are having to argue like a stance on mm-hmm. what you're doing. Like, yeah, you're doing good, but you're doing it in the wrong manner. It's like, you know, I think the ends justify the means a hundred percent in this. And maybe that's a wrong term, but yeah. I think what you guys are doing is excellent. And um, so you said something a little bit earlier. So these, these guys they're I shouldn't say guys, these, these folks are um, calling upon you. They're going through the state. They're kind of getting into the outdoor buddies system. Right. They're doing a normal draw. Um, at what point do like, you know, well, let me take a step back. How many hunts are you guys doing a year? Like if, if sure. folks are successful on their draw, how many hunts are you doing in a, se- a typical like four season? Like let's just say first yeah. through fourth. Yeah. So tip, I mean, it's changed, right. Um, as we've grown. Um, so this last year we did six hunts and we, we packed them into second season. There's a reason we do that is because second season is a longer season mm-hmm. and it goes over two different weekends where some other seasons just don't do that. So it provides more time uh, yeah. pretty much. I mean, and, and more opportunity because there's more tags. And typically uh, the animals know. haven't been hunted very much sure. at that point either, yeah. even though we're yeah. typically on private, that still affects them. Yeah. yeah. And we're, we're trying really hard to get patterns on these animals so mm-hmm. that we know there's a really good chance that doe is going to be in that area roughly. Yeah. And we tried it. I mean, we do buck hunts for sure. The problem that we, we encounter is like if, you know, we're dealing with people with a lot of health issues, right? Mm-hmm. And so the amount of cancellations we have, and then we try to replace those, those hunters with other people who could go, uh, you know, if they have a buck tag, we can't replace a buck tag legally. Yeah, that's a lot harder to do through Colorado Parks and Life, mm-hmm. Wildlife. So that's why we do end up doing probably more doe hunts is because we end up replacing them. What we would have done is a buck tag with a doe hunt. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, we say, hey, we have these six slots, like myself, Josh, and another guy that helps us out every single day, yeah, every guy. year is Cole. And uh, so what we, you know, try to do is one-on-one, you know, and then um if we you know if we have somebody cancel then we'll we'll probably devote two guides to to one person because sometimes you know we have people who can't get in and out of trucks so we'll lift them up put them in trucks things like that um so it makes it a little easier if we have a couple guys Mm -hmm. on board but you know this year i gotta give (laughs) josh josh and his wife offered up their airbnb you know for for outdoor buddies so typically we'll have people come down we'll have six hunters come down over the course of second season and we're like hey we'll take you hunting i'll take you out to dinner friday night and just get to know you kind of just bless them with a you know a meal but ultimately you got to find your own place to stay down here and <laughs> if anybody's ever been to durango we all know that how <laughs> depending on the weekend and so anyway josh offered up his airbnb this year first time we've been able to offer it for um, outdoor buddies mm-hmm. and people have a free place to stay in a house, three bedroom, all one level. And, um, and they're close to us, which is, which is really my biggest appeal is too. like, yeah, we went up there for the dinner and it was, you know, we brought our families and we just all got to be a part to get part yeah. of it together. And it was quiet and it was our own place and we just didn't have yeah. to stress. Cook them up a barbecue. Um, yeah. And then if there are issues that arise, you know, we're there, you know, yeah. I, Brad's literally, two minutes away <laughs> and I'm 10 minutes away, you know? So if something yeah. comes up where a car doesn't start that morning or whatever, it, it just makes the experience again, we're just trying to streamline the experience and make it as, as positive as possible. It's still real, but you know, positive. Sure. Yeah. That's awesome. So what, um, you know, one of the things that I, I thought was, was pretty interesting is, is that, uh, at least from the website was that 
it's it's almost complete volunteer base. Yeah, the entire network. And I, I, I was I was blown away. Like I hadn't heard about it, but that, I mean that that you know doesn't mean that you know there's not validity behind the company. But I think the the original gentleman who started the company was like 1926 or something crazy. It it's been around yeah a long time. It was yeah. a very long. I was like yeah. wow, this is this is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so but the one thing that I thought was really cool is like I mean it's it's in bold. It's like this is volunteer based. Yeah, completely. You know, nobody gets paid. Mm-hmm. I mean, it you know expenses are expenses. Um, and they weren't necessarily like trying to plug for extra volunteers, but it was like look if you have the desire to do this, yeah. um, you know here's here's the link. It's like it's what it is. And it, um, it's, it's kind of different, you know, like I've had other organizations that I've been a part of like ducks, ducks unlimited. Mm-hmm, right. I dated a gal in, in college. Her dad was the chapter leader in like New Hampshire. Yeah. And dude, I mean, that is a, depending on your, L, your, your level within that organization, the nonprofit of ducks unlimited, like you make a shit pot ton of money. Mm-hmm, okay. Sure. Like her house was gigantic. <laughs> I mean, they could have every refuge they wanted. So I was really glad to see, and, and I, I know that it's probably a burden on you guys and your families, but when somebody says this is completely volunteer based, it was huge. Yeah. But it also made me start to think about like, okay, how many more hunts could be like six is a lot, especially to cram into one season. Sure. But it sounds like it's you two and one other gentleman running the entire chapter. Yeah. So my question to you guys is that like it is volunteer based. How many people that have all their ducks in a row, so to speak, have to be turned away every year because you guys just don't have enough manpower, so to speak? Well, yeah, I mean, really the limitations for us, the the number one limitation from you know, preventing us from offering more hunts in, in our area is access to private land. Yeah. Gotcha. So, so if we have more access to private land we can provide more hunts, mm-hmm. long story short. And, and yeah, this kind of goes, you know, we live in an area where it's outdoors, it's isolated. A lot of people get out and hunt. A lot of people want to hunt yeah. um, and have property that they own, that they want to hunt on themselves. And so, I mean, we like Josh was saying with his dad, he'd go yeah. and knock on doors, things like that, just to try to get access. We've done the same thing yeah. in the off season, mm-hmm. you know, um, taking our trucks, driving all around, you know, like you said, it's volunteer based. We're doing this because we're just trying to get more access to property. Mm-hmm. And we have people slam doors in our face. We've had people just listen and like, oh man, I'm sorry, I wish I could, but my yeah. my property's outfitted. You know, so yeah. like they may have wanted to help, but they can't legally help because somebody's paying them to hunt on their property. And then ultimately it's like a lot of stuff. It's networking. Mm-hmm. So it's who you know. And uh, that's where we've had a lot of our success is getting getting on properties um through some sort of relationship prior yeah, sure. right yeah. and and so ultimately if we could grow that like like we were talking about Kyle you were saying like a help, an elk hunt somewhere um yeah. obviously that would probably be need to be later down here like a late season elk hunt would be so would cool be awesome <laughs> we'd love that yeah. like one cow or, yeah. or a bull or something like that you know how much we all know how much meat that provides in comparison yeah. to like a deer or an antelope right it is just awesome but uh, yeah, so that's something I think is a goal of ours in the future is like, hey, let's let's get some elk hunts going sure. down here. But ultimately, what the prevent you know what's preventing us from doing that is is certain properties. So yeah. what do you what are you guys doing, um, or what is the organization doing in the way of trying to not necessarily access the private land, but like I guess get the word out there. Mm-hmm. I mean. I think it's just local. Really, it's just the people who are helping out. You know, no matter where you are in the state, it's yeah. it's those guys. You know, I know that when my when my dad was part of it back in the eighties, you know, that was the case. These guys somehow had made a relationship with that landowner, mm-hmm. and they were in there 
I don't know that there's a lot of advertisement statewide that I know of. It's just right. like Brad said, knocking on doors or getting to know people. And then, they'll, you know, it's a big ask. You know, our our landowners are as much a part of this as yeah, we are because sure. they they're literally trusting us. But then they're also trusting us to take someone in there who maybe has doesn't doesn't have a lot of hunting experience and say, sure. let's let's shoot a firearm on your on your property. You know, what I mean, that's a big ask. And then yeah. certainly there's only a certain number of properties that maybe have the size or position geographically to be safe to even do such a thing. Sure. And so it's really just us, you know, yeah. pounding on doors and getting to know people. And then, you know, sometimes I think we've had one lander actually come to us, but you know, it's just not that common. Yeah. And it's, yeah. that's why it's so valuable. Like we really, really work hard on our relationships with our landowners because yeah. They, we don't exist yeah, without them. Exactly. It doesn't matter how much we want to help people. If we re, honestly, if we were doing this completely on public land, it, I just don't know that it would work ultimately. The right. success rate, yeah. Right. So and so just lessons. So hard to be yeah. safe and just do it the right way. So yeah, the landowner is such a, a huge deal for us. Do you guys ever have any of the true like 160 acre private land tags? Like anybody call you know like a ranch that's that's legally Big able enough. to get that that private land? Like call you and say, hey, I've got this tag. Because, I mean, essentially, they can harvest whatever animal, yeah, you know, within right. any season. Right. Um, you know, it's kind of an interesting, like, I have a lot of people that'll call from Texas that are looking to buy. And it's mm. like, yeah. we want to hunt this. And you, I have to constantly explain that to them. Like, you can hunt private land, mm -hmm. but you you will not be applicable to the private land tag yeah. draw exactly. unless you're above 160 acres within the state. Yeah. And they're just like, what? I can't hunt my <laughs> land. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm not saying that. There's a bucket of tags that private land can, you know, draw from yeah. So it's always difficult to explain it. But sure. the interesting yeah. thing is, is like, I know, I know people like, you know, back more in like high school days that had that tag, you know, that you'd hear people like, oh man, he gave me this, you know, they gave me the private right. land tag or allowed me to go out, you know, yeah. and that's kind of huge. You ever had anybody um, hit you up specifically for that? Like on a, on a bigger parcel? No, we don't. So our, actually to answer your question, our, our parcels that we have permission to hunt, are just short of that 160 cutoff. Okay. Gotcha. So we have two or three parcels and uh, two of them fall within that 140 acre mm -hmm. size. Okay. And so they're just missing the cutoff themselves from being able to get tags for their own property. And so, you know, unless an opportunity comes up and, and, and yeah. we are, there's obviously <laughs> plenty of properties around here sure. um, that yeah. meet that requirement, you know, to get their own private land tags. Um, we haven't had that chance yeah. yet. It'd be great. I mean, obviously, we'd be really happy to talk to them about it. But yeah, you know, a lot of those places are already leased, and that's sure. that's the yeah. challenge. Is you know that there's a reason that that land is so valuable, especially if there's animals crossing it frequently. And, yeah, and absolutely. The outfitters, you know, rightfully so, know that. You know, yeah. Have you guys uh, had the opportunity to like partner with any type of outfitters or anything that like has anybody approached you about that? No, no, no. and and not yet, at least. You mm -hmm. know, I think maybe part of like a lot of things in life is like we don't bring money to the table. Right. So, yeah, I mean, unfortunately yeah. if, if yeah. an outfitter is going to spend their time and it's a loss, you know, yeah. ultimately for them. And, uh, but what I will say from being a, a business owner is that a loss equates to, you know, <laughs> yeah. like some benefits at the end of the year, so to speak, you know, we could just call yeah. it that. So, yeah. I mean, um, and, and I, I wouldn't say that like, you know, hopefully a, a guide never approaches you in that manner of like, mm. Hey, I need a write off at a yeah. really good, you know, hopefully it's more from, from the bottom yeah. of the heart. Like, Hey, I hear what you guys are doing. I think this is awesome. Mm -hmm. We've got, you know, 200 head of elk wintering down here fourth season. And we'd love to have you guys out. For sure. I mean, that, yeah. That's, that would be the more valiant thing to do in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but I do think that there's benefits for both, for both parties, you yeah. know? So, I mean, honestly, that's who we really want to work with. Anyhow, that's, that's the reason we're doing it. 
And it's just so much easier to work with people we can trust because we know that they're in it for the same reasons we are, which is we genuinely love doing this and we genuinely want to help people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we can get landowners, I feel like the ones we have so far have just been so great. Those are the kind of people we want to work with. Yeah. Um, Because this, you know, this isn't big business or anything to us. This is just our small time little thing where we're trying to help help people out. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's an amazing thing, man. I think it's, it's awesome. Um, I, God, I just wouldn't like with the, with the deer population, you know, like it's just, just so, I mean, so many people are in an uproar. Like you hear like, you know, CBW is having to like call a herd and people are like, what do you mean? I'm like, dude, there's 40,000 like in a County. Like it's, (laughs) I got a deer the other day with my truck. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's a lot more killed with cars than there are with rifles around here. Yeah. Are they still doing the, um, I know they did last year, the year before, like when the, when Colorado parks and wildlife is actually calling a herd that they're doing the meat lottery. You guys know anything about that? I haven't heard. I have not heard for our area anyway. I know that they were doing like up kind of towards the front range. Yeah. Where they were having to call a little bit because just population growth was crazy. Sure. And there was like a meat lottery. I couldn't get a lot of details around it when I read Mm -hmm. the article, but that's that's probably been a year ago. I think there's something like that though in the, uh, the, by Alamosa. Oh, the sand dunes. Yeah. I know they had like a tryout to get hunt. It was, they actually brought in hunters, but you had to like essentially try out to hunt there this year. Yeah. And then obviously had access to land and no one else could hunt. But yeah, the the thing though, like that I was reading, like when, when it's part of like an actual approved, you know, lessening or a call of the herd, mm-hmm. the hunters are not applicable to take the meat. Mm. The meat actually gets harvested and goes into the meat right. lottery. Yeah. So, uh, you know, right. um, whoever's, I, I don't know if that's, you know, what what the requirements there's not a lot of information or data that i could find on that part of it mm-hmm. um, and again this has been a year ago since i read this i just you know there was such a lot of like topical discussion around like oh they're just killing animals and like well you know you know whatever your your opinions of that are are going to vary mm-hmm. but it's not like they're leaving a carcass to rot out in the middle of a field for the buzzards to eat you know it's sure. like mm-hmm. they're giving this meat they're processing this meat and and when it's when it's an approved coal they're taking that to like a legitimate, like USDA processing oh, facility. Yeah. So it's, it's more expensive. Um, but you know, and then they do they're obviously they're testing them for the disease that it has gone through that sure. herd. And if they test negative, mm-hmm. then that meat can be distributed to the public yeah, or that's cool. to the lottery system. So, yeah, yeah. um, you know, I just, I, that, that's something that's always kind of been very topical with people is like, you know, it's, it's not just, it's not Texas. We're not just out there shooting hogs that are, you know, just right. ruining, you know, yeah. not shooting them from a helicopter or something. It's, yeah. Yeah. it's still an ethical kill. And there's a, there's a quantity that has to be taken, you know, and most yeah. of the time, like for anybody listening about this for, as far as, you know, if there is an actual call happening and the state approved, they're, they're taking out animals uh, from the herd that are typically sick or unhealthy, or that could have a disease, mm. you know, that could be running through that, you know, there's, they're, they're testing for that. There's a lot of areas in the state right now that mm-hmm. if you yeah. harvest, you got to take it in to test. And if it yeah. tests positive, yeah, you're mandatory. not taking the meat, you know? Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. um, on the map. and so they are, you know, what, when you have overgrowth, you've got a lot of disease that can potentially happen and the environment can no longer support a herd sure. of that size. I yeah. mean, I think the Colorado, what are they, like our, they, they classify that Colorado's elk population is like one herd, which has always been really weird to me, but like, <laughs> The, the CBW is like the, the Colorado herd. I'm like, Jesus, yeah. but it's, you know, it's, I think, um, last year when I was reading this stuff, it's like 300,000, mm. you know? And so like, what's crazy is like that, that is an, a, an insane amount of animals, right? Mm-hmm. It's just 
it's so beautiful to hear that number from where it was, you know, before, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, but sure, right. you know, that's crazy to be to 300,000. But the other thing that people don't think is like between summer and winter grazing, that takes somewhere like along the lines of like 8.1 million acres mm-hmm. to feed that mm-hmm. many animals. And that's just elk. That's not deer. Yeah. You know, that's not animal. It's not. And so it's, it's, gets kind of crazy. And so whenever that, that population, like, um, uh, I think it was like around Aspen, like when they start to outgrow that population, they, they don't necessarily move or migrate. They, they do over time, over a decade, like they, they might move into Kansas and there's people like spotting elk, you know, and, right. and they're going to shift. But like that winter or the next winter, they're going to just kind of hang out there. And then all of a sudden it's like the older ones aren't eating because of like tooth rot or, you know, something like that. Another crazy thing I was really sorry to go off on a tangent. Like, yeah, the study in Aspen was wild because like uh, 40% of the calves, so elk keep like a, like for, for people that don't know, like if an elk hears like an ATV or a person, they typically stay away from, from a, a human being about a third of a mile. They'll run to about a third and mm-hmm. you know, their, their genetics tell them that's probably a safe yeah. uh, amount of, but what happened in the study in Aspen is that, um, so in 20, 2021 or no, yeah, 2021, we had a pretty weak winter, right? Mm-hmm. We didn't have a lot of snow. So all of a sudden when the snow melts early, then everybody else, the human beings get spring fever sure. and they're out there on the trails. Well, that's where a lot of these animals are great, uh, not grazing, but they're, they're bedding, um, for the, the winter months and they're calving. Right. And so because we didn't have a harsh enough winter, it didn't keep the human beings out long enough there was like 40% of the calves that were born in calving that when these people were going through trails or riding ATVs or, or OHVs or whatever, that um, didn't make it. Mm. 40% of the calves that were born mm. that year died off because we didn't have a harsh enough winter. I was like, that is wild. Yeah. And that's yeah. one yeah. small little demographic of the elk population within the state. That was right. just a study right outside of Aspen. Yeah. And so I'm thinking like, gosh, I mean, because we had an almost nothing winter last year. Yeah. I think we got maybe you know, three storms that were five, six inches, yeah. you know, and it's mm-hmm. pretty, so it's just, it's just wild. Like things like that do, you know, do kind of affect the herd, but you know, going back, going back to that topic is like, when you don't have enough vegetation to feed the herd, you know, it does negatively impact the mm-hmm. quantity, mm-hmm. right. Or the population. Mm-hmm. And so that's what, to long story short for anybody still listening to us, <laughs> the, <laughs> you know, when they call, they're not going in and just harvesting meat, right. Of, yeah. a, of a young, yeah. strong bull or, you know, a mother cow or something. It's, yeah. it's the weak individuals or the ones that they are showing signs of disease, sure. you know? And so, yeah. um, yeah, I just wanted to, sorry for the listeners that, you know, weren't sure exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. 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 A it's a tough of, balance though, to get to your point, Kyle, cause yeah, it's like they didn't have a hard winter, but then there's, it's a, it's a balance because you have too hard of a winter. You lose, you yeah. lose animals, especially deer. So it's kind of yeah. like, it's kind of like, man, we need a, we need yeah. more snow, but there's been plenty like, uh, was that four years ago or so? We got just tons of snow just dumped on. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then there's, you know, then there's this whole concept of winter kill, you know, especially um, yeah. in, in the younger populations yeah. of deer and elk. So it, it really is a balance because, man, if things don't line up great, yeah. you're going to have, it sounds like. Yeah. What's crazy to me, though, that like this year, uh, outside of any other year, I think, and maybe it's just because it's more like prevalent, but I think it's because the population of like mountain lions is growing mm-hmm. or they're just coming closer to town. Yeah. Like I had more buddies that saw mountain lions yeah. while hunting, especially in archery, which is the craziest thing to me. Cause it's like, you know, I personally don't carry a pistol. 
And I'm hunting, I know a lot of buddies that do, and it's not to, to shoot an animal or dispatch, right? It's just, it's literally yeah. for protection because you, you're going in with a very archaic method of attack. <laughs> yeah, you know? pretty uh, slow on that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and that so, release. Like, but so many people, um, there was a guy, his, his, uh, his stepson at uh, the real estate agency I worked for, he, he was going up um, uh, Junction Creek. Yeah. yeah, he was going up to get up on top of the ridge and kind of hunt that you know that section of BLM that borders between um, basically like you know five fifty north and what would be like Turtle Lake area. Yeah, you know can, you can kind of traverse that and get back into into purgatory. Mm-hmm. So he was just beelining and he saw something kind of move and he was like he does carry a pistol and it was saw jump leap and as he's falling back do 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 shot and it was like from the movies. Wow, you know it was. Huh. It was wild. It shows pictures. And I mean, it was a full, it was not even a question of like, is this animal attacking? That animal was yeah. attacking. Mm-hmm. Sure. And it was at that point of like morning daylight where we all know that we think we can see something, but you can't really see something yet. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but just so many people this year were like, man, it's mountain lions. I've, used to, you know, I've yeah. seen a couple, yeah. you know, out there, obviously. I mean, it's, it's a scary animal. Yeah. Dude. It's one of, it's one of the ones that get, it's the hair on the back of my neck, yeah, penguin, and there's a lot more like you were saying. It's there's, the ones you don't see, though. That's the thing with mountain lions, especially. Yeah. And when you do see them, they're there. Time, yeah, there's a lot more them. lions here than people think. Freaking there are. tail hanging yeah. from the bottom of like a low ponderosa. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah, yeah. We actually <laughs> had an opportunity. I got to tell this story real quick, where I had one of my daughters, Bella, who's six now, and my wife was pregnant with our youngest, and so Bella was two and a half, almost three years old. And I had the opportunity to go with a buddy down in New Mexico on a lion hunt. And he had dogs and we came across these tracks and um, we're, we're walk, walking along the snow. The snow was, that was that year we got a ton of snow. So New Mexico got hit pretty hard too. Mm-hmm. And we get to the, the edge of this bluff and it just opens up into this huge canyon. And all of a sudden we're kind of like looking and we're just like putting the picture of what happened probably not even more than hours ago where all these elk kind of moved through and there is this this imprint on the snow where you could tell this lion attacked this this elk and was being drugged by the elk on its back and it had the imprint of its back in the snow and then the tail in the middle of that imprint because he was just being drugged <laughs> anyway we're like man so we follow this off to the edge of the bluff and we're looking through and it probably the size of this table we look 10 feet down there's this lion eating that carcass right in front of us looks up to us it's like uh-oh yeah. I'm out of here. Boom. Beyond <laughs> yeah. it. And those dogs chase it. And it was so cool because like hour and a half, two hours later, I'm bringing my daughter down and there's this lion in this tree 10 yards from us. And we're starting a fire and we're looking at it. And I'm like, what individual or two-year-old or three-year-old gets to see a mountain yeah. lion literally up to where the ceiling is that close? <laughs> yeah. And ultimately we decided not to harvest that animal. Yeah. But and we let her go because we thought we ended up finding out it was a big male or I mean a big female. Mm-hmm. But ultimately those are big animals. And yeah. your buddy got lucky. Yeah. You hear the stories from Boulder, like those runners oh, yeah. getting attacked and that one strangling. I mean, that guy's a badass. I mean, yeah, the UFC fighter just like choked him out. And he's dude. he's just lucky that was a yearling. Oh, yeah. I was like, dude, that was a baby lion. Yeah, it must have yeah. been pretty fairly young. It was like still, my house. I mean, you can walk around as I choke out a lion. I mean, but uh, yeah, no, the, those are, those are scary. Dude, yeah. it was wow. We had when I first. So I, I'm from northern Louisiana, and like, there's nothing down there. There's very little predatorial animals, right? Um, and so when we moved here, we, we, uh, my parents, uh, built a house east of Bayfield 
And so um, specifically in this subdivision called Pine Springs Ranch, which is kind of up Beaver Meadows. And mm. anyway, yeah. so um, the first year we were we were hunting, um, you know, I had never really hunted. My dad's got me out there, you know, probably 13, 14 years old. And we're sitting there just kind of glassing this this park meadow doing the classic like, you know, Louisiana, Texas kind of hunting. Like, yeah. this is how they do it on TV. We're going <laughs> to take yeah. a 700-yard shot, you know. And it's like early morning. And it's like, you know, that point where, like, where you – it's almost like so quiet. The wind hasn't quite picked up just yet. And it's almost like you hear every twig from a thousand yeah. yards away. We're just sitting there. And it's like – I mean, just in that moment, like as a kid, like, God, this is beautiful. But I'm also freezing. And like, wow. And we just hear this – just i mean, oh, just man, a yeah. rip and oh my god and my yeah. dad you know my dad too you know just trying to be like a strong guy like oh you know but he was like let's go let's go right now right now you know? it's time yeah, yeah. and the second the, the second encounter I didn't, I didn't actually see the animal i was with a good buddy of mine and we were so we were hiking up and over this ridge because there was a big section of sandstone he, he was a big kind of rock climber boulder he's like mm-hmm. let's go up there sure. so we threw on his crash pad and and i had one and we're walking up there and we get up and over the ridge and we find this like little game trail and, and you could see the shelf of, you know, all of the, uh, all the sandstone. And we're like, well, let's get to the bottom. Cause maybe it's a bit more compact and hard. Maybe, you know, so we start to walk on this game trail and like not knowing anything really about hunting. I just hunted that, that year prior. And this mm-hmm. is middle of the following summer, like not really thinking about anything about hunting or animals or safety at all. Mm-hmm. We'd like hop on a game trail on the backside of this rock ledge, which is very, very good territory for a mountain lion. And so we walk down this ledge and I'm kind of leading and I start to just get this, like that, that smell mm-hmm. of like, yeah. you won't know it unless you've walked into like a bear's den yeah. or something yeah. where there's been like a lot of coyotes or even like elk, you know, like sure. a lot, mm-hmm. just what it, it just smells just musky. And it just yeah. like, it, it like everything you can imagine about like your cat like if you've got a, a male cat yeah. that's like pissing a lot mm, yeah. and it's not that quite vinegar smell, but it's just, I can't explain it. But when you're yeah. in it, you're like, and I just like, remember being like, that's not right. What it, it just felt like the temperature change. And I like look up and I see this blood streak, probably as wide as this table table going up to this next little deal. And I like step back and I could see the remains of the carcass. Yeah. You know, oh, it, had been, it had been eaten a while ago, but like yeah. wherever he drug this animal from, it was still a fresh kill. He like drug it up into his little, yeah. and I'm like, we got to go. We got to go. Yeah. Talking about, like we got to back out. Dude, that was the scariest walk. Cause it's probably, yeah, I mean, it's from, so it's Wickinson peak, right? So if anybody knows where that is, like in the kind of Beaver Meadows type area, I think the top of that peak is probably 9,600 feet. Well, mm-hmm. like uh, Pine Springs Ranch is, you know, 7,000. So we're, we're going pretty vertical the whole yeah. way. Mm-hmm. And this whole section we walked through was all Ponderosa pine. And it's all like low, you know, head height. So you're crouching through it. And that's like classic area where like mountain lion, like first, second branch. And I'm just like, oh my God, we're going to die. <laughs> we're going to die. Uh, it, was, it was so creepy, man. I hate that animal so much <laughs> for anybody listening. To yeah, that. That's the scariest animal alive, I swear. <laughs> they are, man. Yeah. Uh, well, guys, thank you so much, man. Um, we're, we're definitely going to put, you know, as many show notes in this episode as you can to kind of get traffic over to you. Um, but if anybody hears this and wants to reach out, maybe not directly to you guys, what is the yeah. best way, you know, if they just have it in their heart of hearts to be like, I, whatever I just heard was so interesting. I want more information or I want to get a hold of Brad or Josh. 
And I want to know how I can help. Like, what what is the best way for them to reach out to you guys and just be like, what can I do? If it's a landowner, if it's a person, if yeah. it's a hunter, if it's right. a disabled yeah. hunter that doesn't mm-hmm. know about Outdoor Buddies, like, yeah. you know, what what can they do to kind of reach out to you? Sure. Yeah. Ultimately, I mean, a phone call and an email address we'll we'll include in here. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll you know we would love to help people more yeah. locally too. You know, if somebody locally just doesn't realize that this even exists, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, Maybe this is their opportunity. And so, yeah, yeah I think just a phone call, text, email, whether or not you have land, you, you're like, hey, this would be perfect, you know, for what Outdoor Buddies is looking to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we're always super open to to talking to people about it. And uh, no matter what, whether or not it's a hunter or a landowner or, or somebody who wants to help guide. Yeah. And so um, it's a good time. We always have a blast. Yeah. And uh, we'd love to talk to you. It's yeah. a good time of year to start too, because if we can kind of communicate with no matter what their need is, sure. is we have some time now to prep. You know, if they want to help out, there's time now for us to meet and talk and say, mm-hmm. hey, this is how we do it. See if it agrees with how you do it. And and then you can help us out. Or certainly if it's if it's a someone who's disabled who wants to get into the program, we can actually get them in, get them connected with yeah. the outdoor buddies. And then that way make sure all the paperwork's taken care of. And yeah. you know, the draw, it's it's April, but it's not that far away. You know, yeah, once you right. really want to get stuff figured out, so yeah, uh, you know, especially time. if you're a first time hunter, you got to set up an account and all that kind of stuff. It takes time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a good time for people to reach out and really just a phone call to either of us. But we'll probably put Brad's info in there. Yeah. You know, we can get them at least started and then kind of guide them along no yeah. matter what. Sweet. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on, man. I was um, yeah, this was really interesting to me, and I'm I'm just elated with what you guys are doing. I think it's, I think it's really incredible and, and very, very selfless. So I just want to say thank you, man. Like yeah. honestly, from the bottom it's of my heart, pleasure. I think what you guys are doing is awesome. So yeah. yeah cool well, thanks thing. for coming on guys. I yeah. appreciate you. Thank thanks, you. Have you ever felt? Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah. Yeah.